Hello everybody, Jordan Skinner here with another awesome episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast, a podcast dedicated to the construction industry where I interview amazing guests from within the industry who all share their experience, their wisdom and their insights to help you, the listener, grow in either your career or to help you grow a business if that's what you're doing. But no matter where you are in the industry or what you're doing, there is always something valuable to learn from our guests and their stories. Today is no different. Today I am chatting with Robin Hastings of Pitch This, a firm that specializes in helping companies win more tenders. So today we talk about all things tendering basically. We talk about you know why companies should have a very clear profile on the jobs that they will and won't tender. We talk about how to actually go about building relationships so that when tenders do come out, you're sitting in the box seat. Uh, we also talk about lots of other great tips and advice as well. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, really quickly before we get into this week's episode, I just want to take a minute to thank everybody that is tuning in each week to the podcast. Our downloads are growing every week, which means, you know, we're getting more and more listeners, which I can only thank you for. Secondly, I want to give listeners the chance to get more involved with the show. So I'd love to get some feedback from you guys and for you to share your opinions with me on things like what you love about the show, what you hate about the show. Are there topics that you would like us to cover in more depth that we maybe haven't? Are there specific guests that you would like us to interview that we haven't yet? So what I've done is thrown together a quick Google form that has 10 questions on it. And I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to fill this form out. So all you need to do is email me at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. I will forward you this form. And as a thank you to everybody that does take the time to try and help us improve this show, I'm going to thank one person per week personally on the podcast until everybody that has taken the time to help us out has been acknowledged and thanked for their help. Other than that, I really do hope that you take the time to try and help us out and improve this show. Let's get into this week's episode. G'day Robin, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks Jordan, good to be here. Yeah, so for everybody that um, doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us who you are and, and what it is you do? Yeah, sure. I am Robin Hastings. I run a own and run a company called Pitch This, which is a, a bid management company. We help, um, we help our clients put tender responses together. Yeah, so how how did you get into that role? Uh, I um, I got into procurement first when I lived in the UK for a few years back in the 2000s and I worked for a government agency which specialised in procurement projects for, for government and then uh, I moved back to Australia and, and had a few in-house bid management roles and, and then started Pitch This in about 2013. Okay, cool. So what um, what was it that made you want to go out and, and start the business? Were you, did you just think that too many people needed help so you best start something up or, or what was that process? Yeah, to be honest, it was a bit. I mean, I um, when you work in-house, you're obviously working for a single organisation that, you know, it can get a little bit stale doing the same bids over and over. I really love bidding. I love helping clients. I love solving sort of problems. And and working as a consultant means you get to work across a whole range of industries. And, and that actually makes me better and the team better as well, because we can sort of garner best practice from different industries and, and it helps you think outside the square as well. So since you started 
pitch this? I mean, what sort of evolution has the business gone through? Is it is it look very similar to what it looked like when you first started? I'm I'm sure it's changed in some respect. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've been lucky enough to grow over the last few years. Uh, initially, it was just me and my laptop and wherever I was, but we we now have a team of about uh, five or six here and a couple of people in the UK. Everybody works remotely. So one of the things which I know a lot of companies have been able to do, it was always sort of my vision to have a remote workforce. And I really struggled to make it happen before COVID. But once COVID came into play, it was much easier to get employees thinking about, you know, the ability to work work from home and, and set themselves up at home. So that's probably one of the main things. So you struggled with the remote workforce from the employee side of point of view or the customer's point of view? Uh, employees. Yeah, well, probably okay. probably both. Actually, if I'm honest, I mean, it's much easier to have uh, have kickoff meetings on Zoom and and have our clients also acknowledge that that they sometimes have people all over the world, all over the world, but also all over Australia and in different offices. And and it's much easier to just bring everybody together. We also use Zoom and and record our kickoff meetings so that. That sort yep. of helps as well because it means you don't have to go back for for things that you might have forgotten or taken down wrong. You can just go back to a recording and have everything there. Yeah. It, it's interesting how that's all changed. Like five or eight years ago, if you said our you know, entire workforce was remote, it, you'd get a few eyebrows being raised, but now it's pretty much normal. So I suppose that's maybe one of the positives to come out of COVID if, if there is many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so you and I were chatting last week or the week before, I can't remember, and we were talking all things tendering. And, and one thing that you mentioned is one of the areas that companies struggle a lot when it comes to their tendering process is that they don't have a real clear sort of go, no-go profile of what they're going to tender. Mm. And I mean, tendering as a whole can be really expensive. So can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think particularly when companies start out, you tend to see it more that that there is this approach of let's go for everything, let's, you know, let's not miss out on an opportunity. And and what you see is businesses that don't yet have enough resources are spreading themselves really thin. So, you know, what we always say is why would you bid for 20 bids and and maybe only win one or two percent of them, or even ten percent, when you could bid for five opportunities and win them all because you've assigned all of your resources into understanding the client's needs better, you know, getting that upstream work done prior to the bid coming out, making sure that you understand them and they understand what you do. And to the point sometimes that it's even been put into the bid, you know, if you, if you've had really good conversations up front, you can help influence what the bid comes out asking for and be in the front seat. So less work, more return. Yeah. So how do people go about creating that profile? Because like you said, in the beginning, it can be a bit point and spray, but what's the process that they need to go through? I think what we often recommend is is really sitting down and doing a, a bit of a strategy first. So thinking about what's the, the audience that you'll want to appeal to? What are your key strengths? So even within sectors and industries, there are, there are niches that you might, you know, some of your construction clients might be best at fit out. They might be best working in fit out retail. Don't try and work in all different gamuts. Just just focus on what they are and then and then maybe even make a list of the top 10 clients that you want to work with and start building the relationships with them, working out when their bids are coming out, work out what projects they've got coming up and focus entirely on those. You'll get a much better return and a much better um, ability to build relationships, ability to put forward bids that absolutely respond to what they need and therefore have a greater chance of winning. I would imagine also that the time investment 
that is needed to go into those jobs. If you have, you know, a set criteria that is fairly consistent, it should minimise a lot of that work and a lot of that sort of investment as well. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if you think about how much resource and time you have available, it's far better to put more of it into one or two opportunities than it is to spread it thinly across 10, because then you've got every element of the sales cycle covered and a higher opportunity to win that that opportunity. So let me play devil's advocate for a second. Let, let's say that we, we choose, you know, five tenders that we're going to go for and, and the theory is that we're going to win more of them. What if that doesn't happen? Are we still, should we still have a lot of other, you know, backup plans or, or, or something like that to, to spread our risk? Well, I think part of that question needs to be, had you spread it even further, you might have lost even more and wasted more resource. If mm. you've built the relationships, if you've... Um, put in those effort to those really specific five opportunities, you should also be, have strong enough relationships that you can go back to that client or prospect and say, look, why didn't we win? What are we doing wrong? And get them to help you refine what you're doing. And then either you keep trying to work with them or if or if part of that feedback is, look, you know, you're barking up the wrong tree, this is not the right size contract or um, or industry or whatever, then you get the right intel to be able to move forward and learn from that. Yeah. You mentioned relationship there. And, and when we last spoke, um, one of the questions that I put to you was, you know, do you feel that the tendering process to some extent is broken because it's designed to strip out any, you know, existing relationship that the customer and the client previously have? And you had some pretty interesting insights on that. Could you share that with everybody? Yeah, I think it's really important to understand that the further we go on, the more procurement becomes more robust. So you're seeing more and more that they have a dedicated process. They have often, sometimes they'll outsource to a procurement company or they'll have a procurement person in-house who is setting up a set of criteria. They have they have outlined how the process is going to be run. And then there's a panel that they sort of put together to, to develop that. But that doesn't mean that it's not important to build relationships beforehand. The, the, the importance of relationships will always continue. And it's about having them both working in tandem. So a perfect sort of sales slash bidding process to us start 18 months before the tender comes out. And, and it's about building those relationships, understanding what the needs of the client are, not just about, you know, what is the, the bricks and mortar that need to be built, but what else is the company's objectives or strategies for the next few years and how, and even the key people who are making decisions, sometimes they've got key drivers themselves. You know, they might have targets that they need to hit. If you can get up front of that and understand what those decision makers, what else is going on in their heads, then your key win themes in the bid can match those and, and it really helps getting the messaging right. So how do people need to go about identifying who those relationships need to be developed with? Uh, it's it's about picking up the phone and meeting people, having coffees. You can't just find the magic answer easily. It's It's mm. old school sales. So you know, and networking. Yeah, networking, finding out once you've got one lead into a company, talking to them, who are the people in, in the business that make decisions, who runs the tenders. It's not so much about getting into the procurement people because they will be very, very objective. It's about understanding who's the operations director, who's the head of construction, who's the other account managers that, that are likely to be involved in the decision and who's, whose needs you need to understand for, for the best messaging. 
Yeah, I think that's important because I know from our or my experience, you know, when you're dealing with, say, local councils or something like that, nine times out of ten, you're dealing with an engineer that's come out of uni. And one of their key drivers is, is that they don't want to get sacked. So the more you can educate them and the more they can feel really safe and secure in, in your knowledge and your expertise, it puts you in, in, in the box seat in their head. And um, that was one thing that we really honed in on, you know, when we were going for that sort of stuff. But is there any other things that you've seen out in the field that people are doing to really nurture these relationships and stick themselves in the box seat when these tenders come out? Anything specific that comes to mind? Um, I mean, there's all sorts of things. And, and, and sales and relationship building hasn't really changed. I mean, obviously, there's, there's some areas where you can't do some of the things that happened in the olden days, but you can still take your clients out. You can still take them to events, invite them to, th- to things that'll help build knowledge. One of the things that we often encourage clients to do is um, is put together information sessions where you can both entertain your guests. So it might be something where there's a, you know, a drinks and an information session where you can show them something that you're doing that is part of your value proposition. So it might be a bit of a show and tell that also creates networking for both you and them. So it's sort of a bit of a win-win. And what it does is it it helps educate the market at the same time so that if there's things that, you know, they might not understand that you've just gone out and bought the best piece of technology there is in a field, you can help show them why that's better than the others so that when the tender comes out, you know, best case scenario, they might actually put that in the specs and say this is the piece of equipment that needs to be part of the contract. Yeah, because I I think, you and I touched on this when we last spoke in, in that regardless of the tendering process, everybody still has biases. They still have people that they like more than the other person. They still have people that they think are brighter or better than the other person. So whether that tender specifies certain things or not, if you've built that relationship and done, say, something like what you've just said, where you can show them and educate them as to why you are the better choice, that's always still going on in the back of their mind, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that that we're really clear about is oftentimes there are assumptions made by the bidding company that that they forget to put into the bid, or don't forget, they they simply think, you know, we're big enough that people know us or we've worked with them before. Um, And it's really important that you second guess yourselves and make sure that anything that will help form the opinion needs to go through the procurement process so that the way we tend to think of it is that there are three different gateways that a bid goes through. So the first one is procurement. They have a a set of scored criteria that they're looking for. Um, Your first goal is to get a bid scoring well enough that it gets through that gateway. Secondly, it goes through, you know, the advisory or influencer, so CEO, MD, anyone that's, that's at the top of the tree might not actually read the bid in full. They might just read an exec summary, have a bit of a scan through. They might look at the pricing. So you, so with that audience, you're, you're, the way you put the bid together is a bit different in terms of you really want your win themes to pop on the page so that when they skim through, they get those key points. And then the- So when you, sorry. Hang on, so when you say win themes, just- so for everybody listening. So so if you've got to know um, your stakeholders and the client really well at the beginning of the or, or prior to the bid coming out, and and you understand what their needs are, not just within the bid, but for their own jobs. So if, so for instance, the the head of operations might have some some really key targets that don't influence this job, but if you know about them, you might be able to hit on those messages and and make sure that they understand you know what the bigger picture is behind the bid. Yep. At the beginning of each bid, we'll put together win themes. There's normally between three and five. 
And that's sort of how you weave all your messaging through the bid and, and help ensure that you understand the client and they can see that you do. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So yep. go on. So I just back, wanted to get, get that. <laughs> that's all right. Yep. So, um, and third audience is, is the account team. So the people that you'll actually be working with when you win the contract. And what we find mm. is a lot of a lot of people, when they're bidding, they just bid to that audience. That's who's in their mind. You know, we're going to be working with John Doe. Let's write this to John Doe. But actually, quite often, if if they are running a, a robust and, and sort of well-done procurement process, John Doe doesn't get to see it unless it passes through those first two audiences well. So unless it scores highly on the procurement criteria, then then it might not get shortlisted. And that all comes back to doing your research and due diligence on the front end and building those relationships and, and really trying to figure out what their process is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do you think that people should go about figuring out what those high scoring answers should look like in their tenders? Yeah. So this is something we, we work really carefully with our clients on and you can never know. Well, sometimes they will give you their evaluation criteria, but often it'll be high level. So it, it might just say that you know, there are five key sections and here's the weightings for each of them. But what they don't give you is how they're going to score those those questions against the weightings. So there's a bit of guesswork involved in that. But we always say to a client, if you imagine that each of these questions is scored as a five out of five, then you need to really think through what does a five out of five look like? And the example we mm -hmm. often talk about is, you know, a question that typically comes up is, is what experience do you have of developing similar projects or contracts? And it, or it might be asked in a way of, uh, you know, how many years experience do you have or, or something like that. A simple answer to that might be, yes, we have experience or yes, we have 30 years experience. And that might get you perhaps a, you know, one out of five for the score. What we yep. challenge our clients on is, you know, how do you, what, what must make up the, the five points in that? So yes, we do this. Here's some examples of Similar projects that we've delivered over the last 30 years, you might put together a table that has, you know, 10 to 20 examples of your biggest or most relevant projects. And then you might do two or three or four case studies that talk about the, the most relevant projects and, and also helping them to understand why you've chosen them. What's, what's similar about that project that you delivered that helps show them that you understand the key elements of this project that you're going to be working on? And could you also put, say, like written testimonials from previous clients of projects that are most relevant to the tender that you're submitting? Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a heap of different sort of tactics that we use to to answer those. That's that's a good one. Is quotes, testimonials, um, statistics, anything that helps bring evidence of what you've done to life. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that people should know with regards to this kind of stuff? Um, I think I touched on it earlier a little bit. What we often use is is key elements of the layout. So sometimes it's not possible. If you're responding to a government tender, they'll often be quite prescriptive about what you can and can't do in terms of the template. But in the commercial world, often all bets are off in that regard. So what we often do is we think we like to put together a document that represents the business. And it's not from our perspective, it's yes, it is a little bit about making it look pretty, but it's not just that. It's about using layout to ensure that you get your key messages and key win themes and and any of the the relevant facts and, and information that you want to get across to your audience is laid out in a way that that helps them absorb it. So I, I spoke before about the different sorts of audiences. One of the examples is the influencer or advisor audience. They won't, you know, we know they're not going to read a 100-page document. So 
So what we do is we use layout to make sure that we have call-out boxes or, or really well-written sort of active headings that where their eye is drawn to a page, they pick up those key things. And so you want those yep. those elements on the page that a skim reader will pick up on to really relay what your key win themes and your, your value proposition is. Yes, yeah, so, and that was one thing I wanted to touch on is, you know, especially in government tenders, it's a real fine line between adding sort of additional information and turning the tender into a non-conforming tender. Mm-hmm. How do we determine where that fine line is to, one, try and differentiate yourself from everybody else and try not to get a non-conforming tender? Yeah, of course. It's a good question. I think first and foremost, we need to really carefully read the instructions and make sure that if they've put instructions about how the response needs to look, that you're following them. So, you know, often with government, they will say, don't touch the template. We don't want logos. We don't want branding. Sometimes they'll say no images in the response. You need to have them as attachments. So follow the rules. One thing you don't want to do is have the person at the other end. And and I've sat on that panel myself and gone through, you know, 20 bids that you've, you've got to print out and review. You don't want that person to be in an annoyed mood when they're looking at your response. If you've put together something that is not what they asked, and that's a bias that they will they will try not to bring into the room, but it is very difficult when you've said, don't do this, and somebody does that, yeah. to then be in a, a good mood while you're reviewing their bid. So so that's first and foremost. Secondly is, I guess, just, just doing what you can within those requirements. So, you know, what we tend to recommend is that you use graphics to to help simplify complex information or, and or um, we use layout in bids such as call-out boxes and, and headings to, to get messages across. If you can't do that in the bid, is there a way that you can do it as an attachment, for instance? So a graphic, you might, you might reference it, see figure five, go to figure five, an attachment, and, and there is the detail. It's just working around their requirements. But yeah, golden rule is don't do anything they've asked you not to do. Yeah, because, uh, you know, another thing we s- sort of see quite often um, when tenders are being evaluated and awarded that they are doing so f- from people that have no real experience in what it is they're evaluating. Um, mm. Nine times out of ten, when that's the case, it's just a race to the bottom and you're being evaluated on on price. How can people try and avoid that race to the bottom, you know, when with those sorts of scenarios? Yeah, uh, this is a really good question because you do get it a lot. And and often often the procurement and assessment teams will be put together intentionally that way. So I've heard it said that you might have a team of five people assessing the bid and they will purposely pick two people from outside the industry to be on that team. So the first thing is to think about what are the things that um, that another bidder might put forward that that brings the price down, which you are not doing because you think it's either not conforming, not legal under regulation that they haven't thought of. Um, it might be not best practice because of health and safety or, or whatever. And you have to educate the market. You have to put those things into your bid so that if they're looking at bid A from a competitor that is 50% cheaper and your bid, They've got something on paper that helps them understand why yours is more expensive. And if it's done right and it's something that is likely to matter to them, then actually that will help them make a decision that the bid A is is not what they want. It's not gonna it's not gonna be delivered well, it's not gonna manage their risks well, things like that. So it's it's about getting all of that information into the bid so that you're educating the market in the process. Basically justify the way that you're doing the job the way that you are 
and sort of why you're not doing it in yeah. know, various other ways. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, often we'll have clients that have put together a, what is a premium service in, in whatever industry it is. You know, they might be better, using better materials, a more highly skilled workforce, or they're doing things slower because they know it needs to be done with more attention to detail. Yeah. If you don't, if your price represents that, but your bid doesn't explain it, mm -hmm. they're just going to look at the price and go, you're too expensive. But yeah. if your bid also explains it, then they're going to start questioning the others who have not and start really looking at that and going, well, yes, they're cheaper, but, oh, is that actually a key risk for us? Because they haven't thought of all these issues that, that, that you've informed them of. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think the audience might really benefit from with regards to tendering and, you know, how they can, you know, be better at it? I think from my perspective, one thing that I think is really important about this is, is we spoke earlier about the bid, no bid process and qualifying the leads first. And it's also just remembering, you know, bidding is expensive. We all know it is. It's it's a lot of effort for a single contract. But if you flip that around, it's actually, it's a marketing dream in the sense that you are marketing to a single audience that if you've done it right, you know a lot about. So you can market that very specifically to them. And, and that increases your chances of winning that client, you know, tenfold. And, um, Done right, yes, it costs a lot to win the opportunity, but you win a really good opportunity that has a high return on investment. Yeah. You mentioned, you said the word marketing there, and I don't know whether I'm pulling on a thread that shouldn't be tugged on or not here, but, <laughs> probably, you know, it, it, in the construction industry, marketing is a bit of a dirty word. People don't do it. They don't see the need for it. But essentially, that's what a, a tender document is, isn't it? It's, it's marketing collateral. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who would argue the ins and outs of this. But to me, the sales and marketing process is all about making a sale. Mm -hmm. It's it's awareness and a sale. And that's what we're doing. We are putting together a piece of collateral that has in a proper RFT rather than an RFP, you've you've had very specific questions or or themes put to you that you have to respond to. So they've told you exactly what they want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And they've given you that opportunity to put all your information that is based on one client and and what you know about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this has been good. Um, I always like to end these episodes on a bit of a personal note, but is there a weird or interesting fact about yourself that most people don't know? Um, it's a good one. Probably I, I ride a Vespa. So um, okay. I I love zooming around the city on, on my Vespa and um, getting in and out. And So you don't, yeah. you don't have a car? I, no, I don't drive a car. No? I, um, yeah. I just buzz around the city. Yeah. You know, never had any close calls on those. I always worry there's not enough metal around me for <laughs> No, for I haven't. I've been lucky. No? I love it. Yeah? Yeah. That's cool. Where can people connect with you online, learn more about Pitch This, and, and generally just get in touch if they'd like to reach out? Yeah, no worries. They can find us on the website, which is pitchthis.co. And I, no doubt you're on, on LinkedIn and all that sort of good stuff? I am. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So there's both the Pitch This site and also Robin Hastings on LinkedIn. Awesome. No yep. worries. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast and sharing your time. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Jordan. Enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player, and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au.
Thanks again for listening, and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.